Hello and welcome to the Kufi Middle East Briefing Podcast. I'm Kasim Hafiz. I'm still your host, as we are I think, four or five episodes in. And thank you for joining us. Hope you're having a great week as we approach Thanksgiving. We have a great show for you, as always. We've got a great guest, a friend, and a colleague. But before we get to that, let's have a look at what is in the news. So the IDF found a improvised explosive device, IEDs, multiple IEDs, in Israeli territory near the border with Syria in the southern Golan Heights. Where they found the IEDs was a spot where they have prevented uh, infiltration from terrorist groups. In response to that, the IDF conducted a round of airstrikes in Syrian territory And the IDF said that this was meant to send a message to Iran to leave the country, specifically the border area with Israel. So in the pre-dawn hours, Israeli fighter jets struck eight targets in Syria, roughly half near Damascus and half along the Golan border in response to the Iranian-directed effort to set off anti-personnel mines against Israeli troops. Once again, here we see Iran in a country which isn't Iran, on Israel's border, trying to spread terror, trying to spread mayhem, and trying to kill IDF soldiers. Israel taking action to defend itself and and really putting down a line in the sand to say to Iran that your nefarious intentions aren't going to go unnoticed and unpunished. But sticking on the topic of Iran, so the UN's Atomic Watchdog Agency has reported that it found that Iran is pumping uranium gas into advanced centrifuges at an underground part of the Natanz nuclear facility. This is in complete breach, and and it's not just a complete breach. It is the latest, most recent breach of the nuclear deal that Iran signed with the world powers in 2015, which the United States withdrew from. The IEA... The IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, reported that Iran is feeding uranium hexafluoride gas into the advanced IR2M uranium enriching centrifuges installed at the Natanz plant. I don't know what that means because I'm not a nuclear scientist, but the bottom line is this. Iran continually violates, continually does whatever it chooses to. It continues to fund terror groups. It continues to advance with its nuclear enrichment. While we have this agreement, which Iran just chooses not to follow. And I think that's me being kind, chooses, it does not want to follow it. It's essentially hoodwinking the world powers, not making any secret of it, And yet we still hold up this agreement like it's effective. And the thing is, this agreement, far from making the world safer, far from making Iran's path to getting nuclear weapons more difficult, it hasn't made the world safer. And look, there is cast iron evidence of it from an interview that Saudi Arabia's minister for foreign affairs gave very recently, where he essentially said that If Iran acquires nuclear weapons, 
nuclear armament was definitely an option for Saudi Arabia. Just to quote him, he said, Saudi Arabia has made it very clear that it will do everything it can to protect its people and to protect its territories. And he said that if Iran acquires nuclear weapons, other countries will follow and express support for taking harsh stance against Iran. We believe that Iranians have only responded to pressure. So this is from Saudi Arabia, one of Iran's principal rivals, a country which has dealt with terrorism emanating from the Iranian regime. And essentially, they're saying that if Iran has nuclear weapons, it's an option. Iran's militarization, Iran's use of proxies, Iran's nuclearization will fuel a nuclear arms race in the Middle East and in a region which is so rife with perils, which has undergone so much upheaval in the last decades where states have essentially disintegrated and you have had the rise and fall of groups like Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, you've had the rise and fall of ISIS, more nuclear weapons in the Middle East is not a good idea. But this is what is happening with Iran being allowed to act the way it is. But in better news, in more positive news, the foreign minister of Bahrain arrived in Israel with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. I mean, the first ever such visit from a Bahraini diplomat. He visited Jerusalem, met the president, and both countries, both Israel and Bahrain, have agreed to the opening of embassies in each other's countries. And it really juxtaposes the two things. You have on the one side, we have taken this approach towards Iran of appeasement, of pandering, of trying to coerce Iran to be a better actor. And while the Iranian regime has signed the documents, have agreed to these treaties, they continue to pursue nuclear enrichment. They continue to demonize Israel and America, continue to propagate anti-Semitic, anti-Western hatred, continue to persecute minorities in their own country. They continue to spread terrorism all over the region to the to Israel's borders and beyond and seem no closer to changing their behavior meanwhile the gulf states are seeing that the prospects of peace they're seeing that the world is changing and you have bahrain the united arab emirates leading the way in recognizing and normalizing ties with israel to create a better future for all their people and I, I think that is something that we really have to bear in mind. So the Bahraini foreign minister was in Israel. They're agreeing to open embassies in each other's countries, an incredibly positive step for the Middle East and for the world. And hopefully, as we've talked about in the last few we- weeks, this is just the start of more countries normalizing relations with Israel. And Secretary Pompeo said in his remarks today these normalization agreements are furthering the fight against Iran. It's sidelining Iran and making the Iranian regime look as hateful as it is, as 
out of touch with reality. And it's a very loud rejection for much of the Middle East that they do not want the brand of murder and mayhem that the regime in Tehran has been spreading. So there is positive there. And I wanted to end with a positive for our news round. And that is all the news stories I'm going to cover for today. And now a word from our sponsor. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And most of us are getting ready for Christmas by buying gifts and decorating our Christmas trees. Kufi has an exclusive holiday ornament for your tree so you can proudly display your love for Israel during the Christmas season. This one-of-a-kind ornament was made in southern Israel by Ethiopian Israeli craftsmen. And this month, it's yours with your gift of any amount. The ornament is dipped in sterling silver, hand-painted to highlight the beauty of Jerusalem and features the timely scripture, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. For your gift of any amount, you will receive this one-of-a-kind ornament. Visit cufi.org forward slash ornament. That's cufi.org forward slash ornament to receive your ornament today. Available while supplies last, order before December 9th to receive in time for Christmas. And welcome back. Be sure to get your Kufi Christmas ornament. It really is a beautiful piece. Go on the website, kufi.org. Check that out. It really is wonderfully made. Okay, so my next guest, who I'm really excited to have on, and I may say that every week, but and I am excited to have my guests on, but this is particularly cool for me. I... If you've been involved with Kufi in any capacity, you will know who this is. If you've been to Summit, there is no doubt. My next guest is my friend and dear colleague, Eric Stackelback, host and executive producer of the Watchman program, which is seen weekly, primetime, nationwide on TBN. TBN, the world's largest Christian television network, is seen in 100 million homes in the United States alone. The Watchman is also available on the popular streaming service, Amazon Prime, which we will talk about in the interview. In addition, Eric is Director of Christians United for Israel's Kufi Watchman Project. You can subscribe to his YouTube channel at watchmantv.com. Eric partners with Kufi to produce The Watchman, a weekly 30-minute news magazine focusing on news from Israel and the Middle East and how it affects America and the world. Eric travels frequently to Israel and other locales to film for the program, providing on-the-ground reporting from Jerusalem, as well as excellent commentary and interviews with top U.S. and Israeli officials. In addition, the Watchman regularly visits famous biblical and historical sites in the Middle East and explains their relevance for today. The program also showcases the many uplifting stories unfolding across Israel each day and their effect on the world. Eric has spent two decades covering the Middle East and national security issues in depth, traveling to the region, interviewing world leaders and convicted terrorists and highlighting the shared threats to America and Israel. A 2017 J Weekly piece called him Christian TV's most prominent Middle East specialist. He is the author of three books, including The Terrorist Next Door, The Brotherhood and ISIS Exposed. Stackelback is a regular commentator on leading 
national television and radio programs. He has appeared frequently on Fox News, The Blaze TV, and I-24, and has also appeared on C-SPAN, CNN, Daystar, and One American News. Okay, and we're honored to have my colleague and friend, Eric the Watchman Stackelback with us. How's it going, Eric? Kasim, it is great to be with you, my friend. You're doing a great job on the podcast. I love listening. I appreciate that. This is really cool for me because... You're normally the guy asking questions. You're normally interviewing everyone. So we've kind of we've turned the mic around on you a bit today. Yeah, I'm on the hot seat, man. All right. So we'll jump straight into the questions. Um, so first of all, tell us about how you got involved with KUFI, Christians United for Israel, and how the Watchmen came into being. You know, KUFI has quite literally changed my life. And it's gone back. We're in, what, 2020 now. Believe it or not, I was involved with KUFI at its almost at its very inception, the very first KUFI summit in Washington, D.C., way back in July 2006. I was there, Kasim, covering the summit as a young correspondent reporter for CBN News in D.C. And I'll never forget, I, I like to say, from, from the very first sound of the shofar, I was hooked. It was at uh, the D.C. Hilton and thousands of people there, incredible turnout. And right away, I just said, wow, I love this. This is a great thing. KUFI had just started a few months prior in February 2006, but I covered that event as a correspondent for CBN. Uh, met Pastor Hagee for the first time at the event. Met, Sh- uh, met Shari Dollinger, our co-executive director at that event as well. And many other people connected to KUFI. I said, wow, this is a great movement. And it's clearly a mighty movement of God. I knew that right away, something special was happening in Kufi. So long story short, 06, 07, 08, 09, I covered it as a correspondent to Kufi Summit in DC, met more and more people in the Kufi orbit, I guess you would say. And then I started speaking at the Kufi Summit in 2010. And the relationship deepened and it got to the point around 2015, where my wife said, hey, why don't you go work for KUFI? Clearly, you love KUFI. You love the Hagies. You love everyone who's involved with that organization. You love the mission. The mission. You believe in it. Why don't you work for KUFI? And I said, well, you know, I'm a TV guy. What would I do? And lo and behold, uh, I'm talking to TBN, the world's largest Christian TV network, about launching a brand new show called The Watchmen on TBN. And I said, I know how. I can work for KUFI. We will partner on this show. And that's exactly what happened. And we launched the show in February 2016. And no looking back, it's been almost five years since I've been on staff full time at KUFI. And for me, it's been a life changing experience. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Wow. Uh, it's crazy that it's been five years. I remember distinctly when you first rolled out The Watchman and you played that trailer for the first time. I think it was maybe at leadership and the room was completely silent when it ended. I mean, that was a, that was a dramatic entrance you made. <laughs> it did. You know, I was a wrestling fan growing up, and I liked to watch their entrances with the music and everything, and I took a lot of notes. I, like so I kind it. of I like incorporate it. that today. <laughs> so how has The Watchman been received by the viewing audience? Because I think I've said this to you as well in the past. Being completely honest, Christian television can sometimes be a little cheesy. You know, I will watch some Christian shows and it looks like it was filmed in a snowstorm in 1984. And they're talking about things that happened last week. And The Watchmen, I think it's incredibly well produced. It's incredibly well Thank done. You. So so how has that been received by the audience? 
You know, it's been received great, Kasim, and it's interesting because I was lucky. I kind of cut my teeth, as I mentioned, at CBN News, the Christian Broadcasting Network, for about over 10 years before I launched The Watchmen. And also had done a lot of contributing at the Blaze TV and, and Fox News popping up. So I was used to doing things with excellence. And Kufi, absolutely, as you well know, does everything with excellence. We're not going to release something if it's not top-notch 100%. So I came in with the attitude of, hey, you know what? We need to take Christian TV, Christian media to another level. That's Christian media is really where my heart is. Although I've done a lot of secular media, I really want to up the game in the Christian world. And I came in with that attitude of, hey, this has to be top-notch in terms of production values, in terms of the look, the feel. Basically, my goal was if you flip on TBN and you see The Watchmen, you might not even recognize that you're watching Christian TV. You might say, hey, wow, is this the History Channel, Discovery Channel? What is this, the Smithsonian Channel? And I think we've accomplished that. You know, Number one, I have to say, TBN, I mean, in the past five years, wow, just completely taking their game to another level. Uh, people like Governor Huckabee, Eric Metaxas with programs there now. Just a lot of cutting-edge programs. Matt Crouch, who's the chairman of TBN, has great vision, and he's really taking them to me in an exciting direction. So they were fully on board. They loved what we were doing, loved the look. But we've gotten a lot of feedback from viewers who think, wow, what's your budget? Millions and millions of dollars? No, it's not. But God has been good, and we're able to create this great look uh, on the Watchmen with what we do have. But the viewer feedback has been tremendous uh, on social media. As you know, a lot of people, Facebook and on Instagram and YouTube, commenting constantly. It's my favorite show. I can't wait till it comes on because I think it's a pretty unique sh show, Kasim. There's not a lot of shows like this, which are, hey, we're every week we're coming to you with dozens of new episodes every year. And we're coming to you from on the ground in Israel and elsewhere in the Middle East most of the time. I think that on the ground perspective is what sets us apart. And of course, the production values. And lastly, we, we try to tell it like it is. Uh, we, this is no time to mince words. We try to bring people the truth about what's happening in the world's most pivotal region, the Middle East, and why it affects everyone, no matter where they live. Well, no, definitely. And that, that comes across something that really stood out just now when you were answering that question is you want it to look like the History Channel or the Smithsonian Channel. And me personally, I love the archaeology shows because you're giving people an angle and a, you know, you're on the ground where people just aren't able to access at this moment. And I'm not talking about COVID, like the Pilgrim Road. Very few people have walked down that, that road and You've been there, you've filmed, you know, you've been deep in that excavation. You've hit some significant milestones with The Watchmen. I believe you're on your 180th show now. Um, 180, wow, that's, that's hard to incredible. believe, man. <laughs> that is, that's incredible. We've been working hard. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, is there any episodes that really stand out as being memorable or significant to you? Yes. You know, uh, it's funny you mentioned the archaeology, which to me, I, I made my, rep my, I guess, reputation, you would say, as a national security, global security, terrorism correspondent and host, Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah, all of those hard-hitting issues. And that's still a major, major focus 
uh, of the show, the geopolitical situation. But the history, the biblical history and archaeology, I just love. I get a chance to put on my Indiana Jones fedora and get out there in the field. Like you said, Kasim, I'm a history buff. We kind of all are a Kufi. We have to know history for what we do. And I love it. I always have. And to get a chance to bring history and the Bible to life for viewers at home, to me, has been one of the biggest thrills, honestly, of the Watchmen show. And people really respond to the biblical history and archaeology because it is irrefutable truth of the Bible, of God's word. When you combine that scientific, archaeological, rock-solid proof with the truth of the Bible, I believe you have an unbeatable combination. That's what we're able to do. One week, we'll be on the Sea of Galilee and where Jesus literally walked, and the next week, we'll be in caves from the time of King David. So that's been so fun. Some of my favorite episodes, uh, I would say Masada was up there at the top. I mean, just the story behind Masada, obviously, where the Jewish rebels made their last stand, and the, the visuals at Masada. What an amazing place, and you're overlooking the Judean desert and the Dead Sea. Masada was a fun one. I think also anything we do in Galilee, I really, really love because you're walking where it all happened, the center of Jesus's ministry in places like uh, Capernaum. So love all Galilee shows, anything in Jerusalem, obviously. The City of David is probably my favorite place in Jerusalem. We featured them many, many times. The Pilgrimage Road, which you mentioned, also one of my favorites. I was actually able to walk that with our founder and chairman, the one and only Pastor John Hagee. We did an entire show there on the Pilgrimage Road. What is the Pilgrimage Road? Uh, it is the road that led up during the time of the Second Temple, during the time of Jesus. It led up from the Pool of Siloam, where worshipers would cleanse themselves. They'd walk up the Pilgrimage Road to the Second Temple to worship the God of Israel. And it's amazing because Israeli archaeologists at the City of David are excavating it right now. What a thrill. I pinch myself. Lastly, I'd say in terms of memorable shows, anything we do with the IDF, I've been on live fire drills with the IDF, tank drills uh, in the midst of it when they're on the Syrian border practicing and, you know, for that coming conflict, God forbid, against Iran and Hezbollah up north. So we've done some really cool stuff with the Israel Defense Forces, gotten great access with them. Uh, other memorable production trips, just to wrap it up here a little bit, Jordan and Iraq. Iraqi Kurdistan in 2019, we did a Watchmen production there. That was amazing. We were on the Iranian border, the Turkey border, places not many Americans get to set foot. And lastly, I think our production in Poland at Auschwitz and Treblinka uh, was something I'll never forget. Another life-changing experience. Our entire Kufi team went there. Wow. Eric, honestly, I forgot how much you travel in terms of like Poland. Me and too. Like, that was a hard question. Like, wow. Um, but it leads into the next question really well. So take the listeners behind the scenes for a moment. You know, we see you in Israel, in Iraq, in Jordan, in Poland, on the Iranian border and all over. And like I said earlier, it's an incredibly well-produced show. What's it like coordinating all that, the logistics, the travel, all those things that we don't see? We see you in front of camera, the watchman, polished, ready, but you don't just turn up there, you know? <laughs> sure. No, it's so that's a great question, Kasim. A lot of people ask, hey, what do you do when you're not filming? Because you know, TV, by the way, first of all, it looks so easy, right? You just go on TV and you start talking. Little did I know. I, I got into TV full-time in 2005. Little did I know all that goes into it. Our show is a 30-minute weekly show. You might say, ah, 30 minutes, that's not too bad. But wow, 
It is a bear, let me tell you. Uh, number one, in terms of setting up an overseas production there, I mean, it's it's tough enough sometimes to set up a production domestically right here in the United States. But when you're setting up an overseas production, that's a big task. There's all sorts of papers that need to be signed and waivers at times to visit these certain sites in foreign countries. But what we're doing, we have a production team, TBN's Jerusalem team, SAR L Media, in Jerusalem, we work with them. They're, they're just incredible. They're on the ground. They are native Israelis. And what we'll do in between trips, look, we do about five, maybe even six of these overseas productions a year. I'm gone for about nine or 10 days. And I come back, Kasim, and I have a hard drive full of content. We get at least one show per day when we're on the ground overseas. We are running and gunning. Uh, but it's amazing because even if I was a tourist, I'd be going to these places. But now I'm doing it for my job. So I'm very blessed and privileged to do that. I'm actually getting paid to go to the Sea of Galilee. It's a good thing. So we go there and film. But uh, in terms of setting up, we, we work very hard when we're on the ground there. But in terms of setting up, it's me in between trips. You know, we have like two months in between trips. It's me going back and forth with my team in Israel, uh, uh, mapping out what we're going to do on the next production trip. There's a lot of logistics involved. When will you arrive? When will you leave? Where will we stay? Some of the trips in Israel, you know, we're traveling around the country. So maybe Monday, Tuesday, we'll be in Beersheba in southern Israel. Then Wednesday, Thursday, we're heading back to Jerusalem. Then Friday, Saturday, we'll be up north on the Lebanon border. So obviously, we're getting, okay, where are we going to stay? Uh, hotels and, and lodging and things like that, transportation. So that's part of it. Logistics is a major part of it. And the other major part is nailing down the interviews and the shoots. Okay, we're going to the Golan Heights for the day. Where are we going to go? Which sites? How much time will we have? Uh-oh, if it's winter time, hey, we lose light by about 4.35 o'clock. We can't film past then. So there's a lot involved in it. And that's the tip of the iceberg, honestly. And many times, it's funny, Kasim, I'll be in the airport about to fly to Israel and I'll be texting on WhatsApp with my producer in Israel, and we are still getting things together. Hey, did we nail that guy down for Thursday at 9 a.m.? <laughs> it, it's kind of seat of the pants sometimes. That's just the nature of TV, too. But especially in Israel, where we, we love, obviously, our Israeli friends, but sometimes they keep you, they'll keep you waiting a little bit, say, we'll get back to you. And I'm saying, guys, hey, I only have seven days here on the ground. I can't fly back tomorrow. We need to know. So it's a lot of fun. But a lot of work goes into it. But, man, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. I wouldn't change anything. No, that's awesome. I think there's a perception when you travel a lot like you do. People think you're on, you know, you go to Israel, you film for a day, and then you're relaxing on the beach for like three. <laughs> no, no, and no. It's nonstop. <laughs> nonstop. 5 a.m. wake-up calls, Kasim. I mean, and you know this. You've done it. I mean, frequently, I come home, I collapse on the plane. You know, it's a blessing. But um, really, I mean, if you are, say we – Hey, we're filming in the Golan today at 8 a.m., but we're in Jerusalem, so we got to wake up at 4 a.m., be in the van by 5 a.m., the, the Watchman production van. We're going two and a half hours up to the Golan. We're going to roll out of the van, be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to film in front of the camera. <laughs> so that's a lot of times. And then, and we're filming till 7 at night on maybe four hours sleep. But you know what? Hey, I like to say I could be breaking rocks all day for a living, so I'm pretty – I can't complain. And I, my wife and I always say, my dad worked in a factory with no air conditioning. Uh, he'd come home drenched in sweat. I mean, so 
I am not complaining. I'm thanking God for the privilege I have to do what I do. Nice. That's awesome. So with 180 episodes down, and you don't have to answer this. I'm, I'm going to give you that. Any bloopers, any outtakes that you want to share with us? Many. You know, it's funny. Uh, I was shooting the last time I was in Israel pre-COVID was late January 2020. We did a production uh, in Israel. And I was in the middle of an interview, very serious stuff. I was talking to two people uh, on a panel. It was indoors, actually. We do a lot, as you know, Kasim. A lot of the show is filmed outside. My sleeves rolled up. We're in Israel, the most beautiful, scenic place in the world. But sometimes we move it inside to the studio. So we did a panel on the persecution of Christians inside Iran. And we had these chairs. They were almost like, it was in TBN's Jerusalem studio. They were almost like, the chair that like a director would sit in uh, when you see it and he says, cut, and he's got the thing. Yeah. yeah, it was very kind of, it wasn't solid, the chair I was sitting on. So we're in the middle. I mean, it's rolling. We tape it as live. It's rolling. And I'm sitting there and I'm making a point and the chair breaks. And I live, I'm hey, I'm six foot five, right? As you know, I'm six, five, 220, a former basketball player. I literally fall through the chair and I'm, I have to send, we actually have the clip Kasim. I have to post it on YouTube to get everyone to give everyone a laugh, but I'm like stuck. I'm wedged. My butt is wedged down and I'm trapped because I'm trapped inside the chair because the seat broke. It was, oh my gosh, it was a funny, funny moment and stuff like that happens. You know, I have, um, a great crew. We have fun. We're all, there's some of my dearest friends in the world, my crew in Israel. I love these guys. We have such laughs. And I'm, a, as you know, I'm a joker. I'm a laid back guy. I'm, I'm a Philly guy. So I like to tease a little bit and we have such a blast. I mean, so many, so many funny stories, man. I'll tell you. And as you know, Israelis, gosh, I love the, the, is the Jewish people, Israelis. Um, I love how they communicate. There'll be an Israeli from say Tiberias up North meets an Israeli from Beersheba down South. They've never met before in their life. But they're conversing together in Hebrew, and it's so animated and passionately. You would think they've known each other their whole lives. So just right. it's just a treat to see that too. Nice. That's. I think I've actually seen the video with the chair, and yeah, it's. I may have watched it multiple times when you sent it. To be honest, oh, you so, did. That, you have it on a loop now. I see. Now you're going to blackmail me. Yeah, the video. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I forgot. I sent that around to our Kufi staff. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It's funny because it was at the beginning of COVID, and I said, "Guys, this will cheer you up." The Watchman takes yeah. the kill. <laughs> the Watchman humbled. <laughs> so, but on that whole situation with COVID, so the global pandemic, it, it has impacted television production, all sorts of production. Um, So for especially for a show like The Watchmen, where so much of it involves you getting out there, like you said, being outside, speaking to people, how have you adapted to the current reality that we're all living through? You know, Kasim, only God. That's why I like to say we have our weekly Kufi staff calls, and it's so exciting and encouraging to hear every department share what happened that week and how despite COVID, we're taking Kufi and our work to new heights. For me personally, I'll be honest with you, when COVID really kind of set in in mid-March 2020, uh, I was 
number one, I was highly concerned because the show is primarily a travel-based show. I'm kind of the the counter jihad, you know, Anthony Bourdain, some people have said in some ways, may he rest in peace. Uh, but so I was concerned because we travel a lot. We're on the road frequently. I said, uh-oh, travel is locked down. But then I said, certainly, certainly travel will start back up again by May. And then it was like, come on, by July we'll be good. Then it said, well, September 2020 will be fine. Hey, now we're, we're approaching the new year and international travel still has not resumed in any major way. But by the grace of God, as I said, only God, we have been able to turn out new program after new program over the past eight months. It has been incredible, Kasim. If you would have told me, well, there's a few ways we've done it. Um, number one, fortunately, you know, Pastor Hagee likes to say, Noah built the ark before it started raining. Well, at the Watchmen, we, as I said, we work very hard when we're overseas and here domestically. We were able to record a great amount of content in places like Iraq, in Poland, in Jordan, in Israel over the past several years, and we still had a lot of material in TV. We were called evergreen, meaning it could still it would still hold up ten years from now. We had a bunch of material like that that was available to us, so that was a blessing. Number one, we had stuff we had previously recorded. Uh, number two. Zoom and Skype and all of these apps, we have really utilized and we're able to interview people in Israel just via Zoom uh, or via Skype. And you put it, hey, I have a great editor, Chris Vilk, and he puts it in double boxes and gives it the, the bells and whistles and it looks great. And as you can see, whether it's Fox News, CNN, Newsmax, whoever you're watching, everyone now is doing Skype and Zoom. It's the new reality with COVID. So we've been able to bring fresh content on a regular basis, just interviewing people via Zoom and Skype, and it looks just fine on on TV. So that's been another thing. And then we just have people drop things in our lap. Uh, uh, content from the City of David, which I mentioned, fresh content from them. Our TBN team in Jerusalem, they'll say, hey, Eric, there's an event or there's this new archaeological site that was uncovered here in Israel. Would you like us to go film it for you? Yes, you're not here with us on the ground like you normally would be, but you can just toss to it from the studio. And that's exactly what we've done. And I'm very fortunate, Kasim, to have a studio in my basement, in my home here outside of Philly. Uh, and it looks it looks pretty good. I was joking with you, you know, next to my studio, maybe there's like an exercise bike and a treadmill. You can't see that on camera, but the studio looks great. And I think a lot of people, you see news correspondents, even on your local news, they're filing reports now from their living room. It's very interesting, Kasim, where we're at right now in the media uh, with COVID. You know, I think a lot of this won't go back. I think a lot of networks are probably saving money, uh, to say the least. Now they're just doing Zoom and Skype. These applications are free. And lastly, real quick, another avenue we're using is obviously social media to get the message out. We've really upped our game on YouTube. Uh, the Watchman YouTube channel is WatchmanTV.com if people are interested uh, we just passed actually 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. So we're really using that venue as well in these COVID times because more and more people are turning to YouTube, especially with all the kind of lockdowns and various restrictions. I was going to mention the YouTube channel because it's been incredibly impressive that when COVID hit, no, I mean, nobody knew it was going to last this long and is ongoing, but the quality 
of production for the Watchmen has not diminished at all. You guys have adapted so well and kept the quality and the content. And you know, the, you've got the Watchmen newscasts, which watching it, I wouldn't think that you were in your basement with you know the laundry right next to you. <laughs> and and it is like congratulations on the YouTube channel hitting a hundred thousand. I mean, that is Thank an you. incredible Thank achievement. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, it's funny, Kasim. You know, we uh, my daughters. Uh, are about to turn 10 and 14. So I've been doing TV since 2005. Since the day they were born, they used to seeing me on the TV screen. Today they walk by, if I'm on TBN or wherever, they say, oh, big deal, dad's on TV. But when I told them I passed 100,000 subscribers and received the legendary YouTube silver play button that you get to commemorate those 100,000 subscribers, man, all of a sudden I became a cool dad. They were telling all, all their friends, my dad, YouTube. So that was kind of fun. But YouTube, at Kufi, we set out our team, our media strategy, which you are in the midst of, obviously. We set out to spread across every major media platform. Podcasting, which you're doing so great at right now, Kasim. TV with the Watchmen and also the Israel Collective, our millennial arm. Uh, and then social media and YouTube is a huge component of that. So I think it just is in line completely with our goals and our messaging. And the thing with YouTube I've learned is consistency is key. So we do the newscast every Tuesday and Thursday. You know, it's kind of low key. It's not like the TV show where there's, man, a lot of graphics and bells and whistles, these incredible production values. I've learned on YouTube that you can be, you know, in a t-shirt on your phone and it gets great traction. Content is key. I'm really learning that. So that's been kind of a fun thing too in addition to the TV show, that we have this big platform to get the message out on YouTube as well. And we're reaching people around the world on YouTube, a younger audience on that platform. So it's something we want to continue to emphasize for sure. So you had recently, and I thought this was incredibly cool. Again, with COVID, people have been at home and streaming services have been king. You know, mm -hmm. People don't watch television like they used to. And the Watchmen hit Amazon Prime, which I thought was incredibly cool. Yes. So tell us a bit about that. And also, where can people watch the show and keep up to date with what the Watchmen is doing, what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, I got to give a big shout out. In terms of Amazon Prime, I have to give a big shout out to Shari Dollinger, our co-executive director, and Sandy Hagee Parker, who runs our C4, the Kufi Action Fund. They really, I mean, if we've talked about this for about a year or two, uh, Shari and I in particular, we want to get the Watchmen on streaming services, whether it's Netflix or Amazon Prime. So they pushed on this, and I'm glad they did, because Amazon Prime, as everyone knows, is a huge platform. So we just debuted there. I think seven episodes uh, are streaming right now on Amazon Prime. Just go to Prime in the search bar. Just type in the Watchmen, and there you have it. Those seven episodes will pop up. And we have, I think, six more episodes in the can that we're going to send to Amazon as well. So you can kind of Binge watch. I guess they're calling it season one on Amazon Prime, and we'll have more coming to you uh, very soon. So Amazon Prime, definitely a venue we want to continue to emphasize. And you can catch us still on TBN. What a, I say it's a match made in heaven. The world's largest pro-Israel organization, Christians United for Israel, joining forces with the world's largest Christian TV network, TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network. It's really been a match made in heaven, I think, for such a time as this. You can catch us on TBN if you're here in the States. 
every Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. A great prime. That's the Seinfeld slot. Thursday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern. It's it, not a better slot on TV, I don't think. So we are just in the prime position there on TBN. Also, 4.30 p.m. Eastern time on TBN on Fridays. So two incredible time slots. And, of course, you can catch the show at cufi.org. That's kufi.org. You can also catch us streaming on tbn.org. And lastly, as I mentioned, watchmantv.com for our Watchmen YouTube channel. So we got a pretty big footprint. And you can follow us on social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now Parler as well. Nice. So finally, in filming The Watchmen, and you've talked about it, in our conversation, you know, you've been to the Iranian border, the Turkish border, you've you know, met Kurdish fighters, you've been in Israel, live fire exercises. So you really have a perspective on the region in Israel that a lot of us just don't get. And I appreciate you giving us that perspective with the Watchmen. But what's your, as you look at it in the years going forward, what is your hope for Israel, for the, for the Watchmen and for Kufi? for the years ahead for 2021, 2022, as we go forward? Yeah, I think one of the main things across the board for Israel, for Kufi, and for the Watchmen is I want us to be on the front lines of what God is doing, the miraculous things he's doing in Israel today, chief among them, this coming together that we've seen with the Abraham Accords over the past few months, Kasim, the UAE, Bahrain, even perhaps Sudan coming in, with these peace deals with Israel, and that's only the tip of the iceberg, we have Oman, Saudi Arabia, and other nations as well, Sunni Arab nations, cleaving closer together to Israel. I want to be able to be on the ground reporting on that, because I've spent so much of my journalistic and TV career reporting on the bad stuff. Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah, and the imminent threats, Erdogan now in Turkey. And, and these are serious threats that must be reported on. But it's so refreshing for me now, Kasim, to see uh, an opposite narrative emerging where Sunni Arab Muslim nations don't want to fire bombs or missiles at Israel. They want to make peace with Israel and collaborate, cooperate with Israel, I should say, because Israel, number one, uh, is a booming scientific, medical, high-tech powerhouse that will bless the region. The book of Isaiah says that Israel is a light unto the nations, that kings will come to the brightness of its coming. And we're seeing that today, the Sunni Arab nations coming to Israel and saying, hey, we want to be blessed. You are blessing the world with your technology, your innovation, your ingenuity. We want some of that. That's so exciting for me as a journalist, as a TV host, a media personality, to be able to be on the ground and give the firsthand perspective of this wonderful development. So that's something I'm really looking forward to in the years to come. I know Ku5 will be on the cutting edge there. But this blossoming relationship between Israel and its Sunni Arab neighbors, and by the way, one of the major reasons for it also clearly is the Iran threat and the growing Iran axis across the region, Hamas, Hezbollah, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, these radical Shia militias. We could talk all day about that. But that's the other thing I will be reporting on. That's something I don't look forward to, that future conflict casino that very likely is coming to northern Israel, the, the face down against Hezbollah, the Iranian regime in Lebanon and Syria. But we will be there. We'll be there on, their, on those borders. And we will be giving you the kind of perspective that you just won't see anywhere else. 
that on the ground perspective with just great connections and contacts and access with the Israel Defense Forces. So a lot of exciting things coming up. But the most exciting thing, I think, is to show the world how God is revealing himself in his land and among his people in these times right now that we're living in. That's awesome. Uh, One thing I did want to point out, going through some of the past episodes, as I was just doing a little bit of research, it's incredible how you almost have an archive, Eric, of the threats that are coming. You can watch some of the past shows and you can see the direct link between this, these things are happening and why the Sunni Arab states have grown closer to Israel. So I think that's an awesome thing to do. If you've never watched the show, start at episode one. It sounds really cliche, but you'll see such an incredible documenting of the threats that are facing Israel and why the Middle East is shaping up the way it has. So, I mean, I think that's really impressive. Thank you, Kasim. Yeah, it is interesting when you follow the arc. Our first episode was February 25th, 2016, nearly five years ago. And that arc over the past five years of reporting, it's it's interesting to see how this all developed. Five years ago, Kasim, when we launched The Watchmen, there's no way I would have ever thought that the UAE and Bahrain would be at the White House signing a peace agreement with Israel. That was only five years ago. So who knows what the next five years will bring? And I talked about this the other day on the show. You know, since 2010, 2011 alone, we've seen the rise and fall of empires and wannabe empires in the Middle East, right? The so-called Arab Spring in 2011. We thought the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt would be ascendant. That didn't happen. Then came the ISIS Caliphate, 2014, 2015. They were crushed eventually. And now we have the Iranian regime. And Erdogan and Turkey looking to revive their previous empires in the Middle East. So it's it's a real Game of Thrones, as Pastor Hagee has written about and likes to say, in the Middle East right now. But the one constant is the nation of Israel against all odds, against all odds, continues to not only survive, but thrive. And that is one thing that will not change in the next five years, I can assure you. That's awesome. And that is an awesome point to end on. Eric, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Kasim, thanks so much for having me, man. God bless. Keep up the great work. Likewise. Take care, Eric. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate you making the time. And it was great to really hear your side of the story, I guess, from behind the camera about the Watchmen and your experiences on it. You know, we hear from Eric weekly on the Watchmen but it was really cool to flip the microphone and get a behind-the-scenes view of the show. So thank you once again. Okay, now moving on, we have our biblical block, a bit of inspiration from Scripture with Karina. Over to you, Karina. Thanks, Kasim. You know, one of the things that I love uh, about the Watchmen show, and I think most people love about archaeology in general, is the glimpse that it gives us into the past, you know, thousands of years after the people and the places in a certain area are buried and gone, we can catch sight of and glean insight into what their lives were like. And, you know, the Bible does that for us as well. Paul says in Romans 15 that scripture, and of course he means here the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, as that's what was compiled at the time, He says scripture was given to us for our instruction, yes, but also so that we can persevere and endure hardships through being encouraged by what was written long ago for our edification. And why does it encourage us? 
Reading and learning about what God has done in the past ignites our faith. It causes us to trust that the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, can do whatever he purposes to do. But someone has said that hope is the future tense of faith. Uh, unlike many people's understanding of hope nowadays, you know, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It, it's actually a confident certainty. Hope is believing that what God has done in the past, he is able to do in the future. And in fact, he will do whatever he has promised to do in the future. One theologian calls this kind of hope faith in future grace. I love what Paul says in Romans 15, 13, uh, just a few verses down from where he talks about scripture being an encouragement. He prays over the Romans as he kind of finishes up his letter and he says, now may the God of hope, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love what Paul says there. He prayed over the Romans that the God of hope, meaning the God characterized by hope, the God from whom all hope flows, that that God would fill the Romans with all joy and peace as they trust him, that he would fill them, meaning that he would satisfy them. And the reason he gives us so that the reason is so that they will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God wants to infuse us with joy and peace as we trust him so that we abound in hope. Basically, in that future tense of faith, which is believing that the same God who ruled over kingdoms in King David's day still rules today and still wants the very best for his kids. So as we trust God this week, uh, we're trusting that he will fill us with joy and peace. And we're, we're going to abound in confident certainty and hope that in the same way God was faithful then to his people, he will surely be faithful now. Thank you so much for that good word, Karina. I'll be right back after this quick message about the Kufi Microhistories. Short on time, but still want to learn more about Israel? Watch Kufi's micro-history videos while you're sipping a second cup of coffee or taking a break from work. From the events leading to Israel's miraculous rebirth as a modern nation to wars Israel has fought and more. Kufi's micro-history videos will help you learn more about Israel in minutes. Watch them at kufi.org forward slash microhistory. That's kufi.org forward slash microhistory. Discussion questions for quick learning moments with the whole family are now available. Okay, we're back. Uh, Karina, thank you again for that really powerful teaching about hope. And it's really relevant as we reach the final months of this year. And as we enter into 2021, the message of hope is, is so key. So thank you for that. And that is all we have time for, for another episode of the Kufi Middle East Briefing Podcast. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. Please share this podcast. Please listen to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. And if you have any feedback, be in touch. We really appreciate you joining us once again. Have a great week ahead. We pray blessings over you and your families. Take care. And God bless. This is Kasim Hafiz for the Kufi Middle East Briefing Podcast. Thanks.